All right, boys and girls, make sure you have your kids' bulletin here. We'll be referring to that throughout the service. We'll make sure you have that. We'll be continuing this morning going through Ruth. We'll be in Ruth chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 18. It's printed for you in Toto and the ESV in your bulletins if you'd like to turn there. <clears throat> so everybody's kind of heard the joke about their mother-in-law, right? Everybody seems to know that joke or the stereotype of the mother-in-law, right? I mean, the pushy, never satisfied. Stereotypes well known and stereotypes, as we all know, do exist for a reason. And today, in this passage, I want to say most of the time, that stereotype of a mother-in-law is actually read back onto this particular incident. Naomi is seen in this story here in chapter 3 to be a pushy mother-in-law, not content to wait on God and see what God's going to continue to do, but instead she forces a situation. I mean, after all, it's, it's been two months since the last real conversation between Boaz and Ruth. Naomi's hope for the future was rekindled. She was happy, and, but now nothing has happened. And so she's a typical Jewish mother-in-law. She's getting anxious and trying to see what she can do. So she comes up with a manipulative plan. That's typical of this story we've heard. Or perhaps it's another direction. Perhaps the direction we should look at is look at Ruth. Because we're, we're going to see a weird uncomfortable situation here in chapter 3. One well-known hipster pastor says that chapter 3 here is a Ruth Gone Wild video. Maybe that's what we're supposed to think about. Clearly, we're in an interesting part of Ruth, and so I want to say I don't think we should go either of those directions, but we need to be careful as we go through chapter 3. So if you would, would you look with me at Ruth chapter 3? This is God's Word. Then Naomi... Her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning. 
but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is God's word. Let's go to him together in prayer. Now, Father God, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that you have not left us wondering what to do, how to please you, how to know you, how to be forgiven by you, but you have shown us what is good and what you require of us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would once again open this text up to us. Show us Christ. Show us our sin. And bring us close and into your gospel that we may find forgiveness and truth and life in Jesus Christ. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start chapter 3 here, just a quick review. Chapter 1, we saw that God restored Naomi to himself and to his people in Bethlehem through suffering. Then in chapter 2, we saw God used Boaz to convince Ruth and really the whole town of Bethlehem, really, that God had accepted Ruth as one of his own. Now at the beginning of chapter 3, both Naomi and Ruth are in with God, so to speak, and they're in with Bethlehem. They're now secure. They're safe. They've been accepted. And so now that they're secure in God's grace, they are free to think of others. They're free to look out for others. And so they want each other now to be secure and have a blessing of grace. And it reminds us as Christ's community that when we get the gospel, when we finally recognize that we are anchored in God's acceptance and love through what Jesus Christ has done for us, not what we do for God. That security empowers us then to love others, to seek the best for others, to seek their good, to pursue deeper relationships. Because God's grace not only creates the church, it's God's grace that builds the church, that makes us better and builds us up into the community he wants us to be. That's what's going on here. So I want you to remember that. I want to give you a sentence to use. Parents, use this throughout the week in family worship so you can help your children remember what God is doing in our church this week. Here's what we're going to talk about today. God often blesses his people through his people. Let me say that again so there's no visual aid. God often blesses his people through his people. So let's jump in and see how that works. First of all, we're going to see how God uses his people to guide others to blessing. The passage starts out, it's pretty straightforward. Naomi wants God's blessing on Ruth. And she wants this blessing through marriage now. Now remember back in chapter 1, she wanted Ruth to have rest in Moab. She assumed there's nothing for God or for you in Bethlehem. You stay here with your Moabite gods and your Moabite people because this God has nothing for you because he's done nothing for me. Find rest in Moab. Build your life on a husband. But now, she says, you know what? God has been blessing you. God's been doing good things. And I really think God's blessing is going to continue now through a husband, through marriage. So I want to help you get that blessing. I want to help that happen. 
She's watched these uh, amazing last two months of provision of chapter two. And now she's like, I want to see this goodness continue. She's no longer empty. She's no longer bitter. She believes there's goodness in God. And so she says, you know what? I was wrong. I repented of what I thought about God. And now I'm going to seek the good. Which is a good reminder for us. Dear Christian, those of you who are in, you realize we never stop repenting, right? Repentance isn't something we say, okay, I've repented back then. No, we still have to repent of things today. Because when we repent, just like what happened to Naomi, it takes our eyes off of ourselves, off of our problems, and it helps us remember, oh, other people exist. And they have problems. Because you see, when you're bitter and empty like Naomi was, you're only thinking about yourself and your problems. But when you repent and lift your eyes up, you see a whole church full of people who could use help, a whole world full of people who could use help. And that's what God has been doing here, getting rid of the bitterness that drove Naomi inwards and now lifting her eyes up. So Naomi has a plan. Harvest season's over. Now all the activity's taking place at the threshing floor. Now those of you who aren't farmers, let me help you remind you what a threshing floor is. So after two months of harvesting all these grain bundles, just the actual stalks, you have these huge bundles of grain, you go to the threshing floor, which is usually a very flat place outside of town. Typically it's up on a hill, and there's pretty much a constant breeze there. When it comes your turn, you lay out your harvest and they walk animals back and forth over it to kind of break it up. And then the people come with these big pitchfork looking things and they throw it up in the air. And the breeze comes along and it blows the chaff away and the heavy seed kind of falls back down. And after doing this for several hours, you've got a a pile of animal feed and kindling right here. And you've got food and money right here in the form of a pile of grain. This, so they would do this 24-7 at the end of the season because it was also the dry season. You did not want moisture during winnowing season. didn't work. So they're all there 24-7 for a long time getting their grain ready to eat and to sell. So that's what they're doing. Landowners and managers at this point lived here in the threshing floor. They did not go home. They ate their meals there until it was done. And that gives Naomi her idea. <clears throat> all that weird stuff in verses 3 through 5. It seems odd, right? We just read it. It doesn't seem a little weird. She tells, she tells Ruth, okay, get all cleaned up. Secretly find out where Boaz is going to be sleeping. Partially undress him and see what happens. That sounds creepy, right? We, we're, we're allowed to say that. It's creepy. I mean, maybe Naomi has been sitting at home watching too many soap operas while Ruth was gleaning and got some bad ideas. Or maybe she was bored one day looking through a, a, a used bookstore in Bethlehem and picked up Fifty Shades and it warped her like it warps everybody else who reads it. You know, I don't know, but something's going on with Naomi, right? Maybe. Well, this is actually very simple and it's often so misunderstood that w- what we wanted to do to make sure you get this is kids... Look with me in yours, verses 3 through 5. And then adults, it's actually printed for you in your outline as well, if you find it down here. We put, we put verses 3 through 5 of the kids' translation. I want everybody looking here, okay, so we can go through this together. Here's how we translated this for the kids so we can all understand what's happening, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> Here's what Naomi says to Ruth. It's time to end your official sadness over the death of your husband. So all Bethlehem, especially Boaz will know you are ready to marry again. Go see him tonight, but don't let him see you until he's done feasting. 
When he lies down next to his grain, go and uncover his feet and lie down there. When his feet get cold and he wakes up, he'll see you there and he'll tell you what to do. So Ruth said, yes, ma'am. It's not nearly as creepy when you look at it that way, is it? Seems pretty normal. You you see, verse 3, she tells Ruth to to take a shower because guess what? Ruth is the kind of person as a gleaner who takes a shower after work. A lot of us in the room, we take a shower before work, but she's the kind of person who takes a shower after work because she stank being out in the fields gleaning all day. This is not the situation where you want to smell like that. Get cleaned up. Also, in the Hebrew, when you have these things together, when you have washing, when you have anointing, and when you have changing clothes, those three things together are a universal symbol for a Hebrew audience to, oh, she's going to end her mourning period. Because when you were mourning, you actually dressed the part. You purposely didn't bathe as much. You didn't take care of yourself as much. And you wore the same kind of clothes all the time, showing you were sad. Remember, this is the same culture who when something's really bad and they're repenting, what do they do? They put on a burlap sack, put ashes in their hair, because it's a gesture culture. In a gesture culture, while you're mourning, you make the gestures of mourning. Naomi is saying, girl, it's time to clean up and stop mourning. You need to move on and get yourself a husband. So that's what she's saying here in verse 3. This is not, oh, get all dolled up, she's going to press Boaz. It's show Boaz you're now ready to move on and marry again. Because maybe that's why he's taking two months to do anything else, because you still are telling everybody, I'm not ready. So that's what happens in verse 4. She wants... She wants Ruth to have a chance to be alone with Boaz during this very busy season. So you know what? He's got to sleep at some point. Go find him then. His calendar's empty while he's sleeping. He'll have time to talk with you then. So he's at the threshing floor. It's very crowded. Other harvesters, other owners are there too. So Ruth comes up and she uncovers his feet when he's asleep. So he'll get cold and wake up just like we would if we're sleeping outside in the desert region where it gets cold at night. There's nothing improper going on here. There's nothing untoward. It's just pretty simple human behavior. So he wakes up in the middle of the night so he's not distracted by the day's task. He's focused. Hi, what's going on? Why are you here? And they can have the final, you know, DTR, defining the relationship talk. All right, now, having said that, I want to be very careful here. I don't want to sanitize this too much. I want to be very clear. The original readers reading this They would understand what's happening, but they would still be a bit squeamish. This is not ideal, right? This is not. I mean, can you imagine some lady saying, you know what, I just just cannot get time to talk to an elder. Well, here's what you should do. You should sneak in their house in the middle of the night, and you should uncover their feet, and when they wake up, talk to them. That's a little weird, right? So there's still something here that makes it squeamish. I mean, threshing floors in the ancient Near East were kind of like Vegas, What happened at the threshing floor stayed at the threshing floor. Prostitutes were known to get up and go to the threshing floor to take care of the men. But you know what? So did moms, so did wives, so did sisters, and so did daughters because they lived there. They had to eat. So it could be bad. It could be normal. It's uncomfortable, not completely sanitized. I mean, this is Ruth. She's a Moabite. You can just hear people now if they find out about it. Well, you can take the girl out of Moab. You can't take the Moab out of the girl. Oh, look at that. See, but Ruth trusts Naomi to give her good advice. She trusts Naomi. So, and Naomi's trying to guide her to a blessing and show she does it. She submits and says, okay, I'll do this. This is weird. And I want to ask you, Christians, 
you members of the church, do you have a real relationship like that with somebody in the church? Do you have a fellow believer who can give you hard guidance? Guidance that's perhaps uncomfortable and you have to trust them to do it? Do you have that? Because being a better disciple means that there's going to come a point where we're going to have to confess our ugly. You know the stuff we hide from each other? We're going to have to confess our ugly to somebody else so we can get free from that ugly. And that person has to hold us accountable. And that can be uncomfortable and off-putting. Do you have that? Because that guidance from that more mature, older Christian can lead us to a blessing if we'll trust them and do it. I hope you have that relationship with someone in the church because it will help you. It will be a blessing in your life because Ruth has that relationship. And Naomi sees God's blessing through Boaz. And so she wants Ruth further blessed through being settled in a home. And so she gets Ruth to stop mourning, present herself to Boaz as a bride, the best way she knows how to get Boaz's attention. And it's uncomfortable for Ruth, but Ruth does it. But as you're going to see, Naomi has a plan to bless Ruth, but Ruth has her own plan as well. So as the story continues, we're going to see Naomi is trying to guide Ruth to a blessing, but now here, Ruth is going to be grasping a blessing for Naomi. So Ruth submits to Naomi's guidance. She goes through with the plan. She watches Boaz, see what what he's doing, and she sees him rejoicing and feasting, and then she sees him go, go to sleep. Now, I just want to pause right here on verse 7 and just address another common misunderstanding because we're not people from the ancient Near East. So this is not saying that Boaz partied too hard and in a drunken stupor collapsed at the end of a grain pile like many of you probably interpreted it as you read it. It's not at all. Boaz is in the midst of a huge payday mentality. You know what I'm talking about. You know that feel on payday you get, right? Now, imagine if payday was monthly, how much bigger that check is and how that would make you feel the day you get it. Don't think about 30 days later when you're like, where did it all go? That first day, that feeling you have, right? Now, if you're a farmer, guess what? Payday comes once a year and it's a big one. And you've worked hard and you've sweated and you've invested and God has been faithful. There's been rain and there's been crops. I mean, we take it for granted, but dude, we put stuff in the ground and food comes out. That's amazing, God's grace to people. And so the farmers get that, and he is just rejoicing with all the other farmers. And look at the harvest this year. Isn't God been great? And the word here is not drunkenness. This is, he sits down, and he's like, man, God has been so good. I'm just so blessed. I'm so thankful. I'm so happy. His heart is just light. Because a year's burdens, a year's going into debt to pay for stuff has been wiped out by this harvest. And now he's back into profit. It's a good year. It's a good time. And then he lays down at the end of his pile because that's a year's salary. If you had a year's salary sitting out in $10 bills in the middle of the field and you couldn't leave it, wouldn't you be sleeping on it? I would be. That's what he's doing. This is his exposed wealth. Boys and girls, I want you to understand this. Look with me at verse 7 in your text, boys and girls. It says this. When Boaz piled up his grain, he feasted and was so happy at how much God had blessed him. Then he lay down to guard his grain overnight. Ruth came in secret, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So exactly as planned, what happens next? He got cold. 
that's actually in the text. Verse 8 where it says he was startled. It's actually the word for shivered. It says literally, he shivered. And then it says, turned over. This is actually a word that means two actions. He turned over and he grabbed. It can't be more clear. He shivered, he turned over, and he grabbed to cover his feet back up. And instead of grabbing his robe, he grabbed a woman. Again, boys and girls, look with me at your verse 8. In the middle of the night, he shivered and reached down to cover his feet, but was surprised to find a woman there. And so again, exactly as you would do, what did he do? Who are you? And Ruth does not do what Naomi said. She starts talking because she's trying to grasp a blessing from Naomi. There's none of this, oh, just wait and see what Boaz says. Uh Uh-uh, I'm going to tell Boaz what to do. So she tells him, spread your wings over your servant. That's weird for us. An ancient Near Eastern person says, oh, she's asking for a wedding ring. That's what it means. They would think giving each other metal bands to wear around your fingers is weird too. This is how you tell someone you're going to marry them. You took your cloak and you spread it over them. That was an engagement. So she's saying, marry me. And then the second thing, for you are a redeemer. She's saying, take care of Naomi too. So marry me, take care of Naomi. See, a redeemer was a close family member who had the responsibility from God to take care of the family land and the family name to make sure they continued. In this case, what's going on is Elimelech, Naomi's husband from chapter 1, owned land. Everybody in, in, in God's kingdom, in, God, in Israel, had land given to them. He owned some land. When he died, it went to Naomi. So Naomi comes back to Bethlehem. She has this land. But just like if you've got you know, a ton of equity in a house you can't sell, you can't eat it. You can still go hungry even with this asset. Someone's got to buy the land. So the redeemer is supposed to come buy the land and then help the widow get a child and then give the land that you bought back to the child. So very expensive, kind of a burden, not very popular. So and as you can imagine, God's disobedient, recalcitrant people in the Old Testament rarely did it actually. But Boaz is the one who's supposed to do it, and so Ruth calls him on it. Be the redeemer. Take care of Naomi's family. Take care of Naomi's land. Take care of Naomi. Do this expensive, burdensome thing. She basically says, you are supposed to take care of Naomi and me. I want to go back to our question about having deep relationships in the church, relationships where someone can challenge us. There's another side of that. We we not only need close relationships for confession and for accountability, But we need close relationships of confrontation. Real community, a a real place that's been changed by the gospel, has people with the courage to speak truth into each other's lives. On behalf of another person especially. Now hear me, some of you just got very excited. This is not permission to whine and complain about everything you don't like or to boss someone else around. Okay, no, no, no. This is telling someone, it is your calling to help this person. You need to step up and do it. Let me give you an example of that. I've been around ministry a long time. There's always, every Sunday, someone who's, oh, we're thinking about leaving the church because, and fill in the blank. Usually, I'm not talked to about that as the pastor or an assistant pastor. Usually, we find out second, third, and fourth hand. But when the few times someone actually comes and talks to us, typically it's, you know, 
your product is not doing this and your customer service rep didn't really fulfill me when I called. So I'm going to go try a different company. That's basically, we, we plug in church language, but that's what it is. And so whenever that happens, I mean, I understand that. I'm sensitive to that. And so I try to help people understand, well, maybe it's a con- because you're bringing a consumer mentality. Maybe you should have a different mentality about the church. So I always have, either on my phone or in my pocket or in my head, I always have, I can give it to you right now, a list of widows and, and a way to get in contact with them who are lonely, who could use a visit from a fellow Christian that day. And every time someone has actually had the courage to come and talk to me about, I think we're thinking about leaving the church because I have offered, said, I understand that. You maybe not feel like you're making friends. You don't feel fulfilled here. I understand that. You see that lady over there? She's been a widow for 15 years. She eats three meals a day alone. She would love for your family to invite her to lunch. She would love for your kids to come over and just talk to her. Why don't you invite her over and see how you feel about the church next week? I have never once had someone take me up on that. They usually just leave. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, I'm saying, because that's the kind of relationship that Ruth has to Boaz. She's saying, this is your calling and you should step up and do this because she loves Naomi enough she's willing to confront the person who's called to do this. Do we have that kind of relationship where we're willing to speak? It's not very Southern, is it, to be that direct? But what a blessing we could be if we would actually do that instead of just seeing problems, saying, oh, I wish someone would do something about that. Saying, I can't, but you know, this person probably could. I think you're supposed to do something about this. Because Ruth is not looking out for her own interests here. She's not trying to boss Boaz around. She's trying to get a blessing for Naomi. And she sees Boaz as being the way to do it. Not out of some sort of manipulation. But God has been working in Boaz. So she says, pay the price to marry me and rescue Naomi. And Boaz's reaction, he's honored. He's not put out. He's not upset. Because he sees Ruth is looking out for Naomi's interests again. And he, he's so honored, he calls her a worthy woman. It's, if you remember, that's exactly what people called Boaz at the beginning of chapter 1. He was a worthy man, and here's his exact counterpart, a worthy woman. But it's even more profound than that. W- ladies, you know Proverbs 31, that chapter that people used to beat you over the head with about not being a good enough Christian woman? Everybody knows Proverbs 31. Well, guess what? The summary of Proverbs 31 is a worthy woman. And in the Hebrew Bible... It doesn't do it in English, but in the Hebrew Bible, take a guess. What's the very next book after Proverbs? You end Proverbs 31, and what's the first thing you read? Take a guess. You want to guess? It's Ruth. Because in the Hebrew Bible, they say, here's the ideal, here's the actual. Ruth is a Proverbs 31 woman. Boaz confesses it here. You are worthy. You are virtuous. Who wouldn't want to marry you? And the reason why I'm telling you that is this. She's from Moab. Look what God's grace has done where a Moabite becomes the ideal woman of Old Testament Israel. Not a true blood Israelite, but a muggle, a half-blood. It's a Moabite is the ideal woman. Can you believe it? Imagine what God's grace can do to you if he can do that to Ruth the Moabite. So Naomi guides Ruth to a blessing of home and husband. Ruth grasps on to a blessing of redemption for Naomi. And now we see Boaz. Boaz is going to guarantee to be a blessing for both of them. 
So he's honored by Ruth's request. But there's a problem. There's another redeemer. And the duty falls to him first. Which is really funny if you think about it. Naomi came back from Moab all complaining. Oh, Lord, I'm empty. I've got nothing. There's nothing for me here. And all of a sudden, she's got one too many redeemers. Sounds like in her bitterness and unrepentance, she was not seeing God's grace all around her to me. Anyway, so she's got too many redeemers now. No, I don't want this redeemer. I want the B-team redeemer. I don't like the A-team redeemer. What are we going to do? But Boaz says, don't worry about it. You're going to be redeemed. He's going to do it or I'm going to do it. Don't be afraid. God's blessing you. And to prove at this point that neither Ruth nor Boaz are anxious in the story, guess what they do? They've had their conversation. They go back to sleep. God's going to handle it. We're done. Let's go to sleep. And in the morning, Boaz prays over them. He said that, that, that little phrase there was in verse, uh, in verse 14. It's not him talking to another person. He's praying. He wakes up and he's like, Lord, please do not let anybody see Ruth here at the threshing floor. So her, so her reputation will be protected. And then he gives her as much grain as she can carry and sends her on her way. So why does he do that? 